Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. So just, just as we get to know more and more people, it's amazing how many of our stories are so similar. You know, and that so many people have been just tired of or burned out, you know, from, from religion and just doing things as normal. And um, it's just great to go after God together, you know, with a lot of like-minded, similar spirit, you know, people. Um, you know, we're just all after the presence, the presence of God, to know Him more uh, and, and to just exalt Him, to just lift Him up. And it's just, it's just an amazing, it's just an amazing thing. And um, yeah, so... You know, it's just the presence of God, you know, just how important the presence of God is. And, you know, we think about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this. You know, I, I tell a lot of people sometimes when we're talking about somebody going through, you know, but the, the presence of God, you know, so I, you know, I talk to a lot of people and it's easy to just take for granted um, or just assume that everybody's just going to understand what you're saying when you say, well, you just need to get into the presence of God. You know, when you're going through a situation, when you're going through a challenge, uh, you need a healing, whatever it might be. And so we all know that in the presence of God um, is where healing is, is where joy is, is where fulfillment, you know, peace, you know, everything is in the presence of God. And so a lot of people will come back and ask, well, how do you get into the presence of God? You know, and, you know, everybody's got different, you know, methods, you know, for different things. And it's like, okay, do I go get in a closet? Do I go get on my face, you know, before God? You know, what, what's, what's this, um, what's the method that we need to do? So, you know, my question would be is, when did the presence of God walk into this room? And the answer is when you walked in. We're all carriers of the presence of God. You know, it is not His desire anymore to live in a temple made with hands, but to live in a temple made without hands. And so I wrote some things down yesterday that were just kind of, that I've been kind of just thinking on over the last couple of weeks. And at a quick glance, they're definitely not going to sound like they uh, mesh at all. Um, because the first, the first thing that I've been, you know, just stuck in is Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And then the beginning of chapter 3, talking about the fall where, where uh, Satan comes before Eve. Uh, and then the extravagance of Solomon's temple, and then last, the parable of the prodigal son. It's like those things have absolutely uh, nothing, you know, to do with each other at a, at, a, at a quick surface level. You know, but with the presence of God, um, why do we need worship or a worship team whenever we have, whenever we carry the presence of God with us? And it's oftentimes because we have a, such a hard time getting out of our head, getting out of our mind, you know, and the presence of God. And I'm just so thankful for the worship team. And it's always, I'm always amazed at the songs that are picked because it's things that I've been hearing from God. They always line up, you know, we don't get together and determine, hey, what songs are we going to do to try to make it, you know, jive with the message or anything. And God's just always been faithful. And if it doesn't minister to anybody else, it ministers to me, you know, because it's just confirmation that we're all hearing of the same spirit, um, you know, because so much of what was being talked about was just the goodness of God. And that's what I've been focused on so much this last week. Um, And if I were to title it, um, I would call it the extravagance of God. 
you know, and just how extravagant, you know, God is. And, and I just have just the strongest desire to never have self-confidence. I never want to be confident in myself and my own abilities. Um, I want to always fully depend on Him. And doing this type of thing, I'm 110%, you know, dependent on God. You know, I have no, um, this is, you know, again, just not my thing. Um, so I have zero confidence in me, but I have all the confidence in the world of the one who lives in me. And we all have, we all have that same confidence in us. The Father lives in us, and He does not call those who are qualified, but He qualifies those that He calls. And we're all called of the Father. And so how does He qualify us but filling us with His presence and filling us with His anointing, filling us with Him so that we can be equipped to go out, and as we go out into the world, we bring Him to everyone that we encounter. Um, and so just the first thing that I was looking at is just the magnific- magnificence of God, the extravagance of God. And so the thought came to me uh, a couple of days ago um, that God wants to dwell in us. But look at Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was so grand, and I was talking to Derek and Cody about this a little bit after breakfast yesterday. I never, I started Googling Solomon's temple uh, yesterday morning to get some specifics on it. And Solomon's temple was 2,700 living square feet. Not very, not very big. I had in my mind, I had a much larger picture in my mind of how big it was. If you had the porches and everything around it, because it was surrounded by porches, it was about 4,900 square feet. So it's still pretty small. Now, it was about 45 feet tall. So it's, you know, decent size. But the mind-blowing thing is the cost that went into building this temple. And if you were to equate that to today's money, you know, how much it would cost to build something of that same magnitude in today's um, costs, just the gold and the silver alone would amount to about $200 billion dollars billion dollars. And so it's estimated, and that doesn't include the cost of all the precious stones, the lumber, the labor, everything that went into constructing it. So the best estimate that they can come up with, according to Google, the best estimate they can come up with is $1 trillion being the cost to construct a 2,700 square foot building to house the presence of God. And so, I, you know, again, just kind of looking at, okay, how does that compare to help me understand? Because don't, I don't have a sense of how much a billion dollars, you know, is or a trillion dollars. I mean, we don't, I don't deal with those kind of numbers. You know, so just to put it in perspective, so I, I, I looked up, uh, I don't know how I'm familiar, there's the, the tallest building in the world is in Dubai. It's a half a mile tall. So this thing is, this thing is massive. People from all around the world pay a lot of money just to go tour this building to see its extravagance. I mean, I looked at a, uh, a Google Images, you know, type of thing of it. I mean, you just see the buildings around it, which are huge, you know, by our standards, but they're just dwarfed, you know, by the size of this building. So again, it's half a mile tall, and you know how much that building costs? Two billion. Two billion dollars. And just the gold and silver alone that went into Solomon's temple was $200 billion, or a total cost of $1 trillion. It doesn't 
match. It doesn't compare. The World Trade Centers, that's the big, that was the most expensive buildings that we had here in the United States. They cost under $4 billion you know, to build the two World Trade Centers. You know, so just to help put it in perspective you know, of how much went into the construction, the amount of gold that went into Solomon's temple was about 50% of the total amount of gold that they had gathered in the world at that time. So 50% of the, gold's, of the world's gold went into the construction of Solomon's temple. And so, but God, he can dwell in this magnificent building that we can't, we really truly can't comprehend just how grand and how lavish this building was. This is a very feeble attempt to try to explain you know, just how crazy this building was. But rather than dwell in that, he says, I'd rather dwell in you. He would rather dwell in us, a imperfect, a ever-expanding, you know, I mean, just, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that make this vessel far from perfect, you know, and he would rather dwell in us. And what's the primary reason for him to want to dwell in each and every one of us? And it's because before the new covenant, people to experience the presence of God had to go to the temple, but now that he dwells in this temple, we can bring the presence of God to the people. And that is one, one of the greatest things of the, new, of the new covenant, you know, that we're under. And just how amazing is it that this temple, this body that we have, embodies the very presence, the goodness of God, you know, in each and every one of us. And it's not for us to keep to ourselves. It is for us to just simply bring on sight to the places that we go as we go out you know, into the world, as we encounter people that we uh, encounter, that we work with, that we come across on a daily basis, bringing the presence of God you know, to each of these people. And it's just such an honor. It's such a... Um, how He could gift us with that whenever He has the ability to choose this, yet He chooses this instead. And it's, it's just something that I just don't ever want to take for granted. So I, the, the word extravagant is what kept sticking to me, and I just quickly looked up um, just how the word extravagant would be defined, and it says exceeding the limits of reason, lacking in moderation and balance. So our God is an extravagant God. He takes no consideration of limitations, takes no consideration of moderation, balance. Uh, his love to us is unconditional. You know, he gives to us without expecting or requiring something back. Um, so how we can learn, you know, all that we can learn to, to, to live like that. You know, the, the love of God is not cautious, it's extravagant. And that's the same love that he asks us to love others with. And that's the hardest part. You know, and that's the, the, the greatest example of his, of his extravagance is the fact that he loves us even though we do not deserve, you know, the love that he gives. But he also, too, asks that we demonstrate that love, that we allow that love to pour out from us and into those. And, and we cannot do that without his presence living in us. And I've said it before, you know, but the best that we can do in our natural love is to love conditionally. We can only love people so much. As soon as they start pushing against us or as soon as they stop receiving it, it's very easy for us to close those doors and say, okay, 
you had your chance, you know, I'm moving on, and, you know, we're, we're going to go love somebody else, you know, but that is not the love of God, and that has been, you know, my prayer, and I know a lot of the, prayer, the, the prayers of a lot of the people in here is to be able to see people the way that God sees them, to love them the way that God loves them, and, you know, to, to lay aside this judgmental sickness, you know, that, that religion just dumps on you, you know, I mean, I, and I've, you know, I, I can say it because I, I lived in it, you know, so much of my life, you know, I mean, uh, just to be in such a state of, ju- of judgment to where you just cannot see people at all the way that they are, but you have this, you walk around with this measuring stick that I guess you've, you've developed yourself, you know, I guess all you can do is just compare everybody to yourself, so you walk around with this stick you know, just trying to see who measures up and you just write off those who you don't feel measure up to you. You know, how twisted, you know, how twisted of a mentality is that? Who made you the standard? You know, I, you know, I, you know, nobody wants to be measured according to me, you know. So even in creation, you know, so I was just looking up some examples of extravagance. You know, like I said, I've just been reading through just starting in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, uh, just looking in creation, because that's the, that's the start of how we just start seeing just how lavish God is. And, and just reading it slowly, you know, I started to see in like Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says that the trees, some of the trees, he made different types of trees. The first types of trees that he made, he made just simply to be beautiful. The next trees that he made were to give fruit. You know, then the next tree that he made was, was the tree of knowledge, good and evil. You know, so he lays these out, you know, in this order. And, and again, so just to see that he made some trees just to look at, just for us to see. You know, he made, he gave us taste buds, thousands and thousands of taste buds in our mouth so that we can enjoy life. <laughs> so that we could just enjoy, you know, the different tastes, the different things that, uh, the world has offers. We weren't made like cows to where all we get to ingest is grass. You know, we get all kinds of awesome things to try. You know, he didn't need to do that. You know, but he didn't consider, you know, he's not a minimalistic, you know, God. He doesn't say, well, they need a mouth to eat, so boom, here you go. You know, no, he goes above and beyond. He made, he made it extravagant. Every part of creation is extravagant. It's without moderation. And I'm going to keep driving, you know, that point, you know, of, uh, of extravagance. Um, because if we understood just truly how extravagant the love of God is towards us, then it makes you wonder, then how can we ever fathom that he sets us up for failure? How can we ever fathom, like April was talking about, you know, before, that he dumps sickness on you, that he puts things in your path to cause you to stumble, that he's anything but good, you know, that he's anything but bringing life and life more abundantly, you know, into each and every one of us. If we truly understood the love and the extravagance of God and what he thinks towards us and who we are in him, if we truly understood our identity of who we are in Christ, then maybe we wouldn't question things quite the way that we question them. Um, and so something I'd heard was we refer to our daily lives uh, as different things. You know, we can refer to them as a journey, um, a walk. Uh, you know, we can define as many different things. But I heard God clearly tell me a couple of days ago 
that he calls our lives, each and every one of our lives, his love story. And that is what he does in each and every one of our lives is he puts things in, pl- in place. He puts encounters in place. He puts, he puts plans in place in each and every one of our lives all for the purpose of drawing us closer and closer to him. He is all about us. He is all about the pursuit of us. And that is every day of our journey, of our lives that we go through, it is a part of a love story that he has written individually for each and every one of us. He's always drawing us. He's always looking um, in way, way to show his love toward us. Um, but do we live our lives through the lens of God's faithfulness and his promises, or do we live our lives through the lens of our broken past or present circumstances? And so ever since the beginning, ever since the time of the garden, it has been the enemy's main task is to get our focus off of or get our understanding off of everything that God is and everything that he's provided for us and instead paint a picture of what about this? What about this situation? Why is this person sick? You know, or why did this person die? And it all started in the garden, you know, when they're, plant, they're, they're in the Garden of Eden. There's hundreds of thousands of trees, I'm sure, you know, in the garden, and they're all awesome. You know, they're great to look at. They're great food. You know, I mean, they, they have the tree of life. I mean, they, they have everything that they need in there. And so the, the, you know, Satan comes up to Eve, and he says, you know, he doesn't talk about, wow, how awesome is it that you've got all this to pick from? You know, he doesn't lead in with that. He's like, hey, you know, what's, what's up with this tree? You know, why, why, can't you, why can't you eat this tree? You know, isn't that, isn't that unfair? Isn't that unjust that God would just be tempting you with this, you know, putting this thing in front of you and you just walk by it all the time and don't you, don't you just wonder what it tastes like? Don't you wonder what it would know, feel like to eat of this, you know, fruit? And, and as he's speaking to Eve, you know, he's planting these, these thoughts of discontentment, you know, in her to where she replies to Satan and she doesn't just say, we're not supposed to eat of the fruit. She also says, we're not supposed to eat and we're also not supposed to touch it. You know, God never said, don't touch it. Bible doesn't say that. He never said, do not touch the fruit. But it's Eve, you know, who's saying, well, yeah, I can't, I can't eat it and I can't touch it, you know, so let's go ahead and start taking it, you know, a little bit further, you know, than what God said. And so he just starts with these little seeds, you know, of discontentment, you know, to where it's like, well, maybe God's, you know, maybe God's not as good, um, you know, as he says. And I mean, you can catch yourself pretty easy. Uh, you know, Miss Phoebe was talking about that movie. I, I haven't seen it, uh, but we watched a movie last night, um, Miracles from Heaven. There was a lot of dust in our living room because my, my eyes were just, I was constantly, <laughs> constantly rubbing my eyes. I mean, I, I was bawling uh, during that movie. I mean, my stomach was, you know, was, was rattling. You know, I mean, I just, to just see, you know, and, I, and I'm not going to ruin it for anybody who ever sees it, but I mean, it's a true story uh, of, of what this little girl who's 10 years old, you know, a sickness that she goes through, a rare sickness, and just how she goes through it. And they do such a good job in painting what a lot of people, you know, think of, which is, you know, God, why would you allow this sweet, innocent, godly little girl who says her prayers every night, you know, before bed, um, 
Why, why are you letting this happen? You know, and that's a, that's a, that's a question that even the, the, the toughest, even the, the strongest foundational Christians can ask, you know, sometimes is, God, why? You know, and I, and I truly believe that God doesn't mind the questions, you know, of why, it's, but it also has to do with the heart, you know, and how we ask that. You know, there's a difference between why and why, you know. There's a motive behind what we're asking sometimes, and sometimes we just want to know, we just want to understand, you know, where God's coming from, what our purpose is in each and every situation, what His purpose is in each and every situation. And sometimes we have to take a step back before we can, tr- before we can really start to see God's at work. We see everything at the surface, and that's what the enemy does. Is he, He's very surface level. He tries to point everything out that's obvious you know, to the eyes, but how can we claim to follow after faith, how can, we, how can we claim to be faith-believing, you know, Christians, but yet we judge everything with our natural eye? You know, we have, we have faith for, for everything as long as what we're seeing lines up with that faith, you know, then we feel that we're fine. But as soon as our natural eye starts to see something for which we're not exactly believing, then we start to say, well, God, you're not good. And he's like, well, wait a minute, I'm working, you know, on this. I'm working on your behalf in this just because you can't see it doesn't mean I'm not with you. Just because we come to Christ and we start to walk on this journey with him and we start to go, I mean, Psalms 23 says it very clearly, we go through valleys. But the nice thing is, is that he's with us. You know, he's with us wherever we go. And that's the promise that he has to us. He doesn't have a promise for us that we're never going to go through any kind of trial. We're never going to go through any tribulation. We're not going to experience the result of the fall, the result of sin, you know, in the world. You know, he doesn't say that we are ever completely, you know, separated from that. You know, but what he says is when you do go through things, I will be with you. And isn't that, isn't that what we want? You know, I, I, I wrote that down a couple of nights ago, just I was praying before going to bed, and the thought just came to me of, as long as I am in the presence of God, I'd rather go to hell and be with Him than to heaven and He not be there. No matter where I am, no matter what is going on in my life, no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation is going on, if He is holding my hand, and leading me and guiding me as I walk through the situation, then can I still not say God is good? You know, we ask this question of God, why this? Why did this happen? Why did this, you know, why did this sickness occur? Why did this death occur? And honestly, I started thinking about it this morning. It's almost like asking somebody, why are, our, why are all cars blue and, or red? It's not a relevant question. You can't answer that question because it's not a legitimate question. You know, so many times Jesus was asked by his disciples in John 9, in Luke 13, he was asked, you know, so in in, uh, John 9 is when they come to him, the the man with the, the, um, I'm sorry, is a blind man. Yeah, and so they're asking him, whose sin was it that caused this? Was it the man or was it his parents? And he said, neither. But I'm going to show my glory you know, and then I'm going to set this man free. Same thing in, in Luke 13. People come before Jesus saying, hey, all these people were just um, sacrificed by Herod. 
And so he perceiving their thoughts is like, so what are you saying? Are, these, are some of these people more sinful than others that they went through this? And he's like, no, this has nothing to do with their sinful state, whether they were sinners, whether they were you know, perfectly clean, whatever it might be, it has nothing to do with this. But what he tells them is, what I can tell you is, if you don't repent and turn from your sin, you could very well end up just like these people are and be set apart from the presence of God. And so we have to have that mindset of no matter what we're going through, no matter what situation we're going through, He is with us each and every step of the way. And so why do we harp on, you know, being to, needing to be free, you know, from all this stuff? I mean, you'd think, and this, this is, again, me coming out of a religious mindset, is I would oftentimes say we need to take the focus off of ourselves, only focus on God, and that's absolutely 110% correct, but to kind of push it under the rug that we go through challenges. We go through issues. You can't just go, you can't, you can't help somebody who's bound. You can't help somebody who's going through a situation. They're sitting there uh, in the dumps. You know, they've got a loved one on the hospital bed. You're not knowing if they're going to make it the next day. You can't just go and just tell them, well, you know, just... Just, be, just pray, you know, just, just know that everything's going to be okay. You know, they need more than that. They need the presence of God. They need the anointing of God. They need to be reminded of how good the Father is. And so I've made it my mission, you know, because we have an enemy who's sitting on your shoulder, who's always trying to whisper thoughts of discouragement, um, things against God, things against the goodness of God. And so as much as we have an enemy trying to say that, I'm going to make the effort to do the opposite and say, I'm going to just encourage you. I'm going to feed you nothing but truth, and I'm going to build you up. And that is what we're supposed to be doing to help, you know, to help people. We need, we need to be built up. We need to be reminded you know, from time to time, it's easy to lose sight when you're, when you're in the situation. It's hard to see it from the outside. You're stuck in it. It's hard to take a step back and see that there's other things going on here besides just what you can see at a surface level. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place. Um, we're created, you know, so just, just getting back to, the, um, to Satan being, being in, the, in the garden. You know, we are created to have dominion over the earth and everything in it, right? You know, we, we know that. That was the purpose of man from the beginning. But when we allow something that was created, enemy was created, Satan was created. When we allow something that was created to become elevated over the creator, relationship with God begins to diminish. You know, when we start to elevate any situation, when we start to elevate anything or anybody above God and what God says is truth, and I think it was uh, uh, was it the uh, the guy uh, Pastor Danny who came that said there's a difference between fact and truth, you know, and and just how what's that? Darren. Darren. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. So I mean that was so that was so great, you know, because we look at our analytical minds, we want to look at fact. So what is fact? You know, this is what can be provable. This is what can have, you know, science attached to it to say this is true because of this. You know, but what truth is, is what God says, you know, about a situation. And we have to learn to follow that. You know, the enemy is always going to highlight the problem. He's always going to highlight the issue. He's always going to highlight the challenge, the injustice, the hurt, the sickness, the pain. He's going to do everything possible 
to keep you focused on anything else besides the goodness of God. And the fact that His presence is with you wherever you go. Again, if you've given your heart to Him, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have the presence of God with you all the time, in and with you. But He does such a good job at pointing at, you know, look at this little issue. You're broken here. You've got this problem. You know, what are we going to do about this? How did God let this happen? What did you do to let this happen? You probably screwed something up along the way. You know, it's probably the fact that you uh, went to see that movie last week that you shouldn't have gone see, and that's why all the, you know, I mean, we get involved in all this junk, you know, that we just fill our mind with. Well, what about this? What about that? And we're just, feel like, I mean, I feel like you can be a slave to where you're just, just waiting to be struck by lightning at the next, you know, you know, opportunity, and God's just sitting there ready with a hammer to just, you know, it's like that little game, the little pop-up things, you know, come up, and, it, you know, you just feel like you're, you know, like God's up there with a hammer to boom, no, no, boom, you know, and just keep hitting you every time you make a little mistake, and it's like, that's not, that's not God. That's not the love of the Father. And, and if we can remember the countless times that He's intervened for us on our behalf. How many of us, if we could step out of our situation that we're in and we can go back and look and see the many times that God has intervened for us on our behalf, stepped in when we didn't deserve it, whatever it might have been, you know, that, that starts to build up our faith. It starts to build up our courage. But the enemy doesn't want us to remember, you know, those things. You know, and so I just think about, you know, the, the, the miracles, you know, there's a child born, I think it's like every, I think there's five children born every second across the world. And I think a child is just the purest definition of a miracle. You know, I can say, you know, we, you know so Amy and I, we had six children. Um, we had them all at home. And this is not about, you know, any, anything, you know, uh, one way or the other. But we had them at home. And so it was just we were it was just an environment to where we could just allow ourselves to be in the presence of God without having to um, you know just worry about other people's worries, you know, I guess. You know, I mean there's probably I, I think we had a couple of them where it's like, okay, this had opportunity to really go south, uh, and they didn't, you know, and God again just interviewed on our behalf. But I remember, I mean it's it's a feeling that you cannot forget. Because we would be sitting there, you know, Amy's in the pool. I'm not going to get descriptive. Amy's in the pool, and I'm sitting by the pool with my guitar, and I'm just singing worship, you know, to God. Uh, and, you know, often joking with Amy that I'm in more pain than she is because my fingers are... Uh... <laughs> would you hurry up and have the baby? I'm in pain here. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, we, I joked about that after. Um, but I, I never can forget, you know, as each child was born, the moment that that child was born, just the overwhelming sense of God's love, the miracle that you just legitimately just witnessed right here. I mean, man cannot create what just happened here. I'm sorry. There's some smart people. We've got a lot of technology. It's a lot of crazy stuff out there that I'll never understand. But man cannot do that. This is, a, this is a purest form of miracle, straight from God, and it's just His presence was always so strong right at the moment of you seeing your baby for the first time, 
presence of God just over, was, it was overwhelming. You know, and I mean, to where those, I've never been moved as much as those times witnessing the baby coming because it's like, this baby just came straight. This is as fresh as it gets, straight from the presence of God, you know, straight from heaven, straight to us. And I mean, it's like, man, your world just stops. You know, I mean, this is, this, everything is about, you know, this moment. You know, and so just think about the many miracles. Each and every one of us is a miracle. Each and every one of us has, have witnessed miracles, healings, many different things. We, we've, seen, we've seen too much orchestration from God to be able to discount you know, anything or discredit anything and say that God's not at work on our behalf. We have seen way too much to throw all that aside and say, well, God forgot about me in this particular situation. You know, he, he, he dropped the ball. You know, this, this thing happened, you know, it, it caught God by surprise. You know, or again, like I said, we get into this devilish mindset of saying, I did something to bring this on. You know, that's, that's a mindset that's just, uh, that's just got to die. You know, it, it, has, it has to die. It gets you nowhere. It keeps you bound. It keeps you a slave. It keeps you focused on you. You know, thinking that, what makes you think, you know, who in this room thinks that you did anything to earn the love of God? Who, who in here thinks that you deserved Jesus to die on your behalf? Not one of us would even come close to thinking that. So if you didn't do anything of yourself to make him pay the ultimate price for your freedom, then what makes you think you can do anything to keep it? You know? I can't do anything to keep his love continuing to pour towards me. I, didn't, I did not deserve it, and I still don't deserve it. It's just in my natural, just in my natural self, he is an extravagant God. He's orchestrated all this from the beginning, and this is not something we can ever comprehend with our mind. We have to get out of our mindset of trying to understand, trying to put God in a box, trying to apply formulas to God so that way we can answer all of life's questions when every time we encounter something, every time we go through a situation, we can say, ah, this is why. And so we have to change the question from why to get rid of the question altogether to say, God, you're with me. You're with me. And that's what we have to do. That's why, that's why I'm harping on this right now because there are a lot of people out there that are stuck in these questions. And the why, if asked in the wrong motive, can start to lead to anger. It can start to lead to you know, total disdain you know, towards God. If you sit there and dwell on that you know, for too long a period of time, you're going to push yourself further and further and further away from Him. And so we need to understand our identity of who we are you know, in Christ so that we in turn can help others understand who they are in Christ, you know, who Christ is to you and who you are to Him. And like I said earlier, we are the sons and we are the daughters of the most extravagantly loving Father that could ever exist, way beyond what our mind could ever comprehend, way more than we can ever begin to understand. He's thought of it all. And he's put every limitation, you know, he paid the ultimate price. He did not consider the cost of his son. 
you know, it was not something, well, really, you know, don't want to do this, but I have to. It's like, you know, no, this, as precious as that was, as ultimate a price as that was, he still did it, you know, for us. And it, it's, it, just, it just blows my mind. Um, we can't be led by the Spirit until we've learned to be fed by the Spirit. We have to spend time in His presence knowing that His very being lives and dwells in us. And we can never depend on a feeling. You know, so much of us are trying to chase a feeling. You know, um, you know we want to you know, tangibly sense the presence of God. And, and I think a lot of us probably have, you know, at, at many points. Um, I know I have, absolutely. You experience the tangible presence of God, you know, and it just, um, you know, you just become not functional, you know. And, but we, we chase after that. We chase after experience. You know, we go from experience to experience, encounter to encounter, feeling to feeling. And just because you don't feel anything, you start to say, well, the presence of God wasn't there. I didn't feel it. You know, and it's like, no. I mean, again, you're a carrier, the presence of God. So everywhere you go, the presence of God goes. Get out of your feeling. Faith precedes feeling. You know, so again, I'm going to say it. Our faith, our faith, the results of our faith cannot be judged by what we see in our natural you know, it just cannot. And, and we, we just, we do that so much and that's something that we have to get out of. We have to spend time in the presence of God and we have to understand and realize and just get it, that knowing that his very being lives in and dwells in each and every one of us. And that's enough. You know, and, and so I'm going to skip over some of this stuff. Um, we live, you know, I know Pastor Mark likes to use the uh, example of the pool of Bethesda, you know, a lot. You know, how it's amazing how Jesus came and healed the one. And I, from what I understand, you know, history or whatever teaches us, because the scripture doesn't say, but it's estimated that there was between 900 and 1,000 people at a time at the pool of Bethesda. So it's not like there was this one guy and one other person. You know, I mean, this is a pretty pretty large group of sick people that's around this pool. And so, you know, obviously the story that we read and see is about Jesus coming and healing, you know, this person. And, you know, how it's, and, and the, the, the part that Pastor Mark likes is, how is it possible that so many of these people did not cry out? If there was truly 900, 1,000 other people there, witnessing what just happened to this one. I mean, from what I understand, this guy had been there for like 30, 40 years. You know, so it's not like he, this was his first day, you know, there to where it wouldn't be noticeable that he was gone. You know, so he was a, you know, he was a, he was a feature there. And, you know, so how, how is it possible that so many people did not just run up to Jesus and say, hey, set me free. What you just did you know, can you do the same? Can you do the same for me? We we believe on you. You know, uh, we we need your help. But the Bible doesn't say anything about that. As best as we know, the one man was healed, and they went about their way. And the rest of the people there, you know, were still left, you know, with whatever condition they had. And so we live in a culture today where the news media, the social outlets, all this stuff would show up on the scene. 
and want to interview the 999, you know, saying, well, why weren't you healed? I mean, let's forget about the, let's forget about the miracle of the one that did happen. Let's dwell on what didn't happen. You know, let's, 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 let's try to, let's, let's, let's start running some specials on uh, the, the, you know, the sad situations that each and every one, are, you know, we're on. And, and I could just see it as some special thing that goes on for a few weeks special of just interviewing all these people and just, you know, pictures of little Sally as she was, you know, climbing and fell, you know, whatever it might be. And they, and they dwell on all the negative, you know, of what happened and just totally forget the fact that God came and set someone free. And it's like, well, wait, what about, what about these? And that's the same thing. That's nothing new. The devil does not have necessarily any new tricks up his sleeves. That is the same thing that he enticed Eve with. You know, it's the same thing that he sits on people's shoulders trying to entice them with. Yeah, God's good. That's, that's fine. But what about this? You know, what about this situation? What, why weren't these people healed? And that's what we go and do. You know, Christian theology is filled with um, religions and denominations that are largely centered around things that God didn't do. You know, we come up with all these things of, you know, God's just, I mean, I, I, I lived for a long time, not through teaching that I sat under or anything like that, just a wrong way of perceiving God in that um, God was just always ready to just strike me down based on anything wrong that I would do. And so you just wear yourself out trying to be a good person. And, and that's what it does, is it just wears you out. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, Amy and I, you know, we, we've gone through, um, we've gone through some great transformation, you know, together. Like I said, we, you know, I know some of y'all know our story, you know, but, um, you know, we lived many, many years, you know, of just isolation, um, you know, not knowing many people, um, not really being much in the presence of, of God, you know, with other people and other friends. And so just seeing that transformation that's been happening over the last couple of years, it's made something come alive, you know, in each and every one of us, in, in both of us. We have joy, we have sense of purpose, you know, it's not just surviving, you know, to get through the day, to get through the week, you know, walking on eggshells so we don't, you know, upset each other, you know, whatever each other, you know, we understand what buttons we might have, so let's just do our best not to push them, you know, type thing, and let's just get through life, you know, raising our kids, Make sure, making sure they don't kill each other, you know, and just, you know, let's just get by, you know, and that, that's, that was a sense of purpose for a very long time. And so seeing this sense of freedom that we get to walk in now, you know, how much joy, how much life it brings, you know, it's, it's so, you know, it's just something that you want to share, you know, with other people. And that's one of the reasons why I asked about the testimonies before, is because every time we hear a testimony, you know, I've heard somebody say that the word testimony can be defined as God do it again. You know, and so that's why it's so important to share your testimony, to seek out testimonies, you know, of people. There, there's enough bad that goes on to where you don't have to seek that out. You can find that out pretty easily on your own. But to seek out testimonies, you know, to build up your faith, to build you up so that you can see the goodness of God, how he intervened in somebody's life. You know, but again, just because you're being transformed, just because Amy and I, you were being transformed and our lives were being changed, did not mean that our lives were just going to be absolutely perfect, no problems. You know, and an example I like to think of is uh, Emma. Um, last year, I guess, probably about this time, um, 
she was, I guess, three at the time, and we had uh, Derek and Mallory and I think Pastor Mark and, and April over, maybe a couple of people, I don't remember. Um, but the, all the kids are outside, and, um, and we have a golf cart. So we have a long driveway. We have a super long driveway, which is nice because that means we're very far away from the street. Nobody can see our house. But it's very inconvenient to bring your trash out to the street. So, uh, and when you have as many kids as we have, we've got three trash cans, big trash cans, and it's like, you know, you're not going to walk one trash can at a time, you know, up to the street. So we have, a, we have a golf cart, and I got this attachment for the back, and it's got these four, I'll call them spikes, they're not exactly spikes, but these four metal things that come up on the back that you can latch your, the handles of your trash cans onto. Um, and so the kids are supposed to, Remove that because Ethan takes the trash out to the street and he picks it up and, you know, Ethan is supposed to remove it from the back of the golf cart after he's done and, and so he can put it up. Well, this was one of those times when that didn't happen. And so, you know, we have everybody over, they're outside and Emma's riding on the golf cart. I don't know who's driving, it doesn't really matter. Um, but she falls off the back of the golf cart and she hits her forehead on one of those four uh, things coming up uh, off the back of the golf cart. Well, Ethan, come, we're all inside. Ethan comes running in, carrying her. And I mean, it looked bad. You know, it, it, <laughs> it looked pretty bad. You know, you're seeing parts on the inside of her head that you should not be seeing. She's just covered in blood. You know, all the kids are screaming, you know, I mean, you just don't know, you know, what happened. And it's like, you know, here's your, here's your little baby, you know, just going through something pretty bad. And, um, and so we just immediately, you know, I mean, everybody probably reacted different. I don't know. I don't remember. But it's like the very first prayer, I guess, that entered in my mind was just peace. You know, let's just pray for peace, you know, in this situation. And, uh, and I... I <laughs> Actually, probably wasn't even going to take her. <laughs> I was like, she's just going to be healed <laughs> or whatever. And Amy's like, no, you don't understand. Uh, you, she's, she, you've got to take her to the hospital. <laughs> and she was right. It was, it was bad. And, uh, and so Derek, you know, I'm just always thankful for Derek. You know, he, uh, he rode with me. So he, uh, Emma and I, uh, went to the emergency room. And so Derek and I together were just praying for peace, you know, basically the whole way there. And what's crazy is, is God answered the prayer. Emma's riding in the back, watching my phone or his phone, little YouTube video, not even crying. You know, she's totally fine, covered in blood. I mean, you don't understand. I mean, the skin is, is open. You're seeing stuff on her skull. I mean, it's, you know, it was bad. It was super deep. And uh, she is just as calm as can be. She's fine. We're kind of making jokes, you know, as we're going. You know, we get to the emergency room. They immediately uh, let us in. So Derek stays in the waiting room. And, um, you know, I'll go back there uh, with Emma. I'm not going to say the hospital because uh, they took four hours <laughs> to, 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 you know, to, to do anything. And, um, but, you know, so they had uh, three different nurses that came in first um, to see her. And... They all freaked out. I mean, they are absolutely freaked out because she's calm. They're like, you don't understand. 
She's not supposed to be calm. <laughs> you know, and I, and I get it. I mean, I understand. I understand the, the legitimate, you know, concerns for saying, hey, you know, you don't want a child falling asleep or anything like that after such a dramatic, you know, head injury. I mean, I understand. Um, you know, but she's just laying on the bed. I'm laying next to her. You know, she's just talking. She's honestly excited, you know, to be there. Um uh, <laughs> You know, she was having a good... She's getting all this attention. I mean, she, she's not used to getting the attention that she was getting, so she's just eating it up. You know, she loved it. You know, so she's sitting there, and I'm just just praying under my breath, you know, or whatever for her, and um, she falls asleep. That really freaked um, everybody out. Uh, so they called the doctor. The doctor comes in. And uh, so the first three nurses, they had kids. You know, so they're like, you know, Gabe, you know, this is, this is just not good. Um... And I was not, please understand me, I was not being religious about this at all. But I felt a peace that I did not need to go through scans, x-rays, stuff like that. I said, I just want her to be stitched. This just needs to be closed up so it can heal. Um, and so all three nurses, they all had children of their own. They're like, Gabe, you, you don't understand. Uh, one of them actually got a little ugly with me and saying, you know, uh, if this were my children... Uh, you know, you, sh- you, you, you cannot be doing this. You're not making a responsible decision. Uh, they're like, you know, there could be all kind of, they started going into all the worst case scenarios that could be going on. You know, there's probably bleeding internally and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, because she's being this calm, you know, you don't understand just how, how serious the situation is. Um, so eventually, you know, they, they, come in, they go and get the doctor. The doctor comes in and he's just adamant. You know, he's like, Gabe, no. He said, you, you, you're in my hospital. She's going to go get some scans. And, you know, he just starts, once again, going over the worst-case scenarios. And honestly, fear started to creep in. You know, I started thinking to myself, like, man, am I being religious here? Am I just saying, oh, you know, God, I'm going to trust you just because I'm trying to be spiritual, you know, or whatever. And I, I just kept praying to God as the doctor's talking to me. I'm having this conversation with God saying, God, help me to make the right decision here. Don't allow me to make a religious decision here because, again, I'm trying to be super spiritual here, you know, and not get the help of man, you know, whatever it might be. You know, and I'm like, help me to make the right decision. And so I told the doctor, I said, okay, go ahead. Let's get the, let's get the scans. He's like, thank you. He's like, all right, I'm going to go get the nurse. We're going to go get the room set up. I said, okay. So as soon as he left the room, I heard God say, what are you going to trust? He said, you asked for, for peace, and I gave it to you. So are you not seeing that my hand is already at work in this situation? And again, I'm not being religious. Please understand, I'm not being religious about this. I'm not trying to make a point about doctors or you know, anything like that. That's not what this is about. You know, so... I, call, I ran out into the hallway. I called the doctor and I said, no, no, we're not doing the scans. And he's like, all right, whatever. You know, so he canceled it. So, so he comes in and he, you know, he's like, you know, okay, we got to put all these stitches in. Um, we need to give her something, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And he's just holding her and she's just looking at him, you know, just happy and fine. And he stitches her up and she did not make a peep. She did not feel a thing. She didn't have anything to deaden the pain. He's taking the alcohol or peroxide, whatever it is, you know, and pouring that all in her head. I mean, I know that just that alone burns like crazy. You know, but he's sitting there applying all this stuff. She doesn't make a peep. He stitches her up. I'm like, 
you know, can't even look at it, you know, but he's sitting there just stitching her all up. And he's like, you know, he looks at me and he's just like, Gabe, he's like, this is not normal. He said, this is not possible. He said, any adult would be screaming in pain with this kind of injury. He said, a little three, four-year-old, three-year-old should not be feeling like this. He said, this is not right. Uh, he kept saying, this is not right. And so, you know, so as he's doing that, you know, I'm just praying. I'm like, God, help us to be a witness of you. Help us to be a witness of what it is to trust, you know, in a heavenly father that loves us extravagantly, that wants to show himself in our lives. And let us just be, let us just show love, you know, to, to this doctor, you know, and to these three nurses. And when we were leaving, before we walked out of the emergency room to go back to the waiting room, every single nurse that was working there in that emergency room all came up, gave Emma a hug, you know, and were just like, this is amazing. I mean, I know that what she went through, and I'm where I wasn't, again, I'm not trying to make a statement, but I was wearing my lifestyle Christianity shirt that I always wear. You know, so I mean, my life belongs to Jesus is on the back, you know, so I mean, I'm, I'm wearing it proud and bold, you know, uh, you know, so, and I mean, I'm t- I, told, I told each and every one of them, I said, I have peace. God has given me peace in this situation that she's going to be okay. Well, that just goes in one ear and out the other of somebody who's just this is what they do. You know, they can only make sense of this. This is their profession. This is just on paper. This is what you do. This is the situation. You know, but I know that what she went through in that situation touched the lives of each of those people, and she was fine. You know, she didn't die. You know, nothing happened. It's been a year later. She's okay. You know, everything's fine. She still remembers it. She still wants to go back. You know, uh, every time she gets a little cut or something, she's like, do we have to go to the hospital? Yeah, I mean, she loved her situation at the emergency room. That was a highlight in her life in a good way because she experienced the presence of God. It was tangible. Just like when I was with Amy, when she was giving birth to our children, the very tangible presence of God was there in that room with us. So it was never about God. Why did this happen? You know, Emma's the sweetest little girl on the planet. You know, I mean, she prays. She, she does all of our prayers before we eat, you know, lunch or dinner or any kind of meal, and they're extravagant prayers. You know, I mean, she just thanks God for everything. She prays for every ailment that anybody in the family might be, you know, might be feeling. I mean, she's got a heart of gold, you know, in her. So it's like, God, you know, that, that thought never came to me was, God, how could you allow this? you know, to happen. What's the deal? Did I send it? You know, I know she didn't. You know, I mean, did, what happened? Why, why wasn't your covering there, you know, to happen? And it's like, I can't answer. Jesus didn't answer. So why do I need to answer why it happened? Jesus never gave people an answer. Job, when he, when he questioned God as to why he was going through this, God never gave Job an answer, even though he responded to him. All he basically responded to him with was just the amount of his extravagance in how he created creation. That, is, that was his response to Job, is that if I could do all this, do you not think that I can be with you in this? Do you not think that I've got you, you know, in this situation? Do you not think that I can turn this in for my good and for your good? You know, do you not, do you not think that I'm capable? You know, and so that is the God that we serve. And so that thought never entered my mind as you know, how could this happen to such a sweet, innocent little girl? I'm pretty sure my life was clean. I, you know, I wasn't aware of any 
crazy sinning that I was doing or something like that. It's like, you know, that thought never happened. But what it was turning into is while we were in that emergency room waiting was God let this glorify you. You didn't cause it. I didn't cause it. She didn't cause it. But either way, you're with me and you're walking with us, you know, as we walk through this valley. And so that is the perspective. So there's so much about perspective that we need to understand. And I've got a whole lot more, and I'm not going to get into it. My, my time is up. Um, but again, that's just the whole thing is there's nothing wrong with asking the why. And we all probably have plenty of opportunities to ask God why, you know, in a certain situation when something happens. There's a lot of bad things that happen to people. There's a lot of situations that people are in that people need desperately to be set free from. You know, I get it. But don't ever lose sight of the fact that he's with you in the valley. And just like I said before, wherever I am with him, that is my goal. I don't, ever, I don't want to be blessed in this natural life. I don't want to ever not go through anything in this natural life if it means that I never get to depend on him. I get to depend on him. I don't have to depend on him. I get to. I would much rather my life be in the hands of an extravagant, loving father making decisions for me on my behalf than I would trusting any part of my life to myself and my limited perspective of what I can see. You know, my judging a book by its cover, he sees so much more that's going on in each and every of our lives. So why not just turn everything over to him? Why not stop questioning the why and instead say, thank you for being with me. I'm not, I'm in faith. I'm not going to judge anymore by what my eye is seeing, by what my mind is telling me. I'm not going to judge by, the, by that anymore. I'm instead going to trust and have faith in you because you are an extravagant father. And I encourage everybody, write things down. When you have a manifestation of God where you know that he showed up in your life, that he intervened on your behalf, write that down. And when you're going through something, you refer back to that to build up your courage to say, if he was with me then, then he's with me now. The scripture says he will never leave you nor forsake you. And he is not a liar. He never says that you're never going to go through anything. He just says that he'll never leave you or forsake you. So if he's with me, then shouldn't that be the encouragement that I need? And shouldn't that be the encouragement that we give each other as we see each other go through life's struggles and life's trials? So anyway, I'm going to skip everything else. And that is, that is what I have. So I guess if everybody could stand... Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're a good father, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you're with us each and every step of the way. And we thank you that you have ordained our steps from even before the foundations of the world were began. You knew our coming and our going. You set everything in motion for us, Lord God. And we trust you. And Lord, help us to keep our eyes off of the situation, but to always keep our eyes focused on you, that you are a loving Father, that you created all, that you know all, that you're working all out on our behalf for our good. And Lord God, just give us the opportunity to share that truth, to share your goodness, and to demonstrate your love to those that we encounter on a daily basis. Help us to be lights. Help us to be carriers of your presence to everywhere that we go. And we ask that your presence in us break down the walls that the people and and enemies have built up around their minds so that they could just 
start to see and to hear and to listen to how good you are and that you have a plan and a love for each and every one of them. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you.